1: Welcome in to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley. We're here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management, and for the next hour, we're going to be talking about wealth management and growing your assets. You have worked hard, saved your money, retirement is maybe just around the corner, maybe a ways off in the distance, never too early to start savings, and certainly not too late to think about strategies. We're in a volatile, volatile time financially with inflation and interest rates rising and Volatility in the stock market, so that's what they specialize in at Aptus Wealth Management is seeing those things and helping you deal with those things so that your portfolio doesn't come out of it severely diminished. You can get a free consultation at Aptus by calling 614-917-1040 or setting it up online at Wealth, Aptus A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. And while you're on the site, we'd highly encourage you to subscribe to Josh's YouTube channel where you'll get a lot of the concepts that we talk about here on the show in smaller doses so that you can pause the video, take notes, replay it, learn what's going on because once you have knowledge, you're empowered and you're much less apt to do something rash and doing something rash is often when you do something risky or something that's very, very problematic. So you can also search Josh's YouTube channel by going to youtube.com and searching Josh Pick Finance, but a great way is to just sign up for it on aptuswealth.com. That way you're notified whenever new content is posted. So, Josh, we had a lot of uh, current events factoring into money management and wealth management this week, starting with the midterm elections. And people wondered, will the midterm elections change the financial markets? I think the reaction initially was we didn't get a clear signal coming out. You always talk about how the markets don't like uncertainty. I guess at this hour, as we record here on Friday afternoon, we're not sure who's going to have the Senate. We might not know that for another four weeks. And even now we're not absolutely positive who's going to have the House, although it looks like that's tilting toward the Republicans. Is there an immediate takeaway from the midterms?
2: Well, you know, I'm always cautious about saying if this side or that side takes the the House or the Senate, then it's going to be a shift of power. And then all these clear agendas will get passed right through. I mean, just simply even saying clear agenda is almost mm-hmm. comical with, with uh, the political environment now. But so, you know, I, I think, When Biden took office, I'll give an example. When Biden took office, we said, well, tax rates are going to go up for sure. Well, they didn't. Uh, He didn't change tax rates at all. Uh, So maybe that's maybe saying that he's incapable of passing anything, or maybe he was just running on one campaign and had no intention to begin with. But I think there are certain things that are inevitably going to change the landscape of our retirement portfolios. They're going to change the landscape of Social Security. They're going to change the landscape of future taxation and benefit programs, et cetera. And that's going to happen, I believe, regardless of who's in office. Mm-hmm. There's just too much traction. You know, we can argue about a, a myriad of things from abortion rights to, you know, whether or not marijuana should be legal and all these different things. But these these things seem to be unanimous. And And if you've heard of, you know, the Retirement Securities and Savings Act or the Enhancing American Retirement Now Act or the EARN Act, there's all these different acts that have kind of been passed, and they're all pointing towards the same thing. And that is that there's going to be changes to the retirement savings landscape. And- it's one of the few things, believe it or not, that seems to be unanimous. Whether you're Republican or Democrat, there seems to be a unanimous feel on this. I didn't and what, even know there were things that were unanimous. That's good to hear. Or at least they're overwhelming in the majority, <laughs> right? Maybe not unanimous. But, you know, some of those things, just to kind of give you an idea of what's going to happen, is there's going to be, I believe, auto enrollment in 401ks. Oh, so, that's interesting. You know, one of the problems with 401ks around the country is, although your employer offers one, you have to actually sign up and enrollment in 401ks is very very low Uh, i've seen stats around you know a third of americans are actually contributing to their company sponsored 401k and believe it or not that's regardless of whether or not your 401k has a match so even if your employer is willing to give you free matching dollars it doesn't change enrollment so one of the beliefs is there will be an auto enrollment so you're automatically enrolled up to x percentage in a kind of generic this is what your age is so we're going to put you in a target date fund and then
1: it's up to you to decline being enrolled in. Okay, because I was going to say, that sounds like coercion's too strong of a word, but it sounds like that has to be a decision that somebody willingly enters into. I thought maybe they'd enroll you, but you didn't have to actually contribute. You're saying you're enrolled, but you would you could opt out. You can opt out. Okay,
2: But you have to, rather than being proactive about opting in, you yes. have to be proactive about opting out. OK, which I think is a good thing. I do too. I mean, now that we don't have pensions,, you know, I think it's a good thing. Um, other things that I think are inevitable as we look down the barrel of this inflation gun that we have looking at us for the first time at this level in 40 years is I think catch-up contributions are going to go way up. Your ability to – so when you're over the age of 50, you have the ability to contribute more to your 401K and IRAs than somebody who's under 50. And that contribution limit, I believe, will continue to climb in the catch-up. I've seen numbers of all the way up. Right now it's uh, five or 6000 bucks, but – I believe on 401ks, it's only a thousand bucks on IRAs. I believe that number is going to climb to 10,000 and maybe 1,500 or 2,000 on IRAs. So your ability, if you want to be proactive in your last, you know, 5, 10, 15 years of your working life, if you really want to get aggressive and dump money into pre-tax or even Roth IRA contributions, you're going to have a larger ability to do that. And I think, you know, who's going to argue that that's a bad thing? I I don't see a downside to it. So I think that gets approved. The other thing that I think, and we've heard this now, rumblings for the last couple of years. You know, if you remember back, we look at the the SECURE Act, minimum required distributions, uh, which is when the government forces you to take money out of your qualified plans, your Mm -hmm. 401ks, your IRAs, et cetera, used to be 70 and a half. So you had to take a percentage out of your 401ks when you hit 70 and a half. The government hasn't seen their tax dollars. Now they want them. You've been kicking that can too long. Then it bumped to 72 through the SECURE Act. There has been enough legislation tried to be passed that wants to raise that to 74 or 75 that I think ultimately, you know, that water is going to rub that stone down. Eventually, it's going to get pushed through. Now, why is that a good thing? Well, you could could argue that this is putting lipstick on a pig a little bit. A lot of people, quite frankly, are going to have to work longer than they were in the past. Yeah. Um, It just is what it is. So their ability to contribute more and not have to take money out for a longer period of time will be a benefit. Very Um, interesting. You know, I think, you know, the other things that are inevitable is I think there is going to be a force amongst uh, employers to start allowing part-time employees to contribute to 401ks, um, allowing simple IRA plans as well as 401k plans to offer Roth options. There's going to be a lot of change in the landscape in the 401k and retirement plan market. And I think those go through regardless of who ends up taking the House and the Senate. It doesn't matter. Um, You know, the ones that are a little more more polarizing that we'll see what happens is there's That Social Security is soon going to be a broken system. It's already a broken system. We just haven't felt it yet. And sometime after 2030, 2032, that trust fund that we pull from on a Social Security is going to run out of gas. And, you know, the Republicans seem to be shouting from the mountaintops that we need to do something about this. And they're almost unabashedly saying, you know, I know it's not a popular thing, but it needs done. So let's get it done. Uh, which I appreciate that level of candor, but I think they're e- they're easily allowed to say it with that level of candor, knowing that it's not actually going to happen until twenty or thirty or twenty thirty two so I just don't see I don't care for Republicans and our a Democrat, they're not fixing social security until they absolutely have to. That's just the way of the government,
1: right, yeah, and I think we heard a lot of uh I guess accusations before the midterms that if Republicans get the majorities in the House and Senate, they're gonna cut social security. I didn't hear a lot about that being a hard and fast plan that Republicans had. They came out with some kind of a plan as to what they wanted to do if they were given more power. But that to me is just a thing that's that's not going to be popular with anybody who's close to Social Security because there's always going to be a lot of people who's who are right in that time that, well, I was going to take it now. What do you mean you're cutting my benefits? I could see a fix being that if you have an income level of a certain point from your good decisions that you've made with going with firms like, yours and you've saved and you put money in Roth IRAs and you've invested well and you've done well that they could say, you know, you don't need Social Security. There are other people who need it for the good of the country. You're not going to get it. Other people are going to get it. That is as close to a compromise that I see they could get through as others. Do you have anything else that you think might be a way that they could navigate that kind of explosive situation?
2: Yeah, what you're talking about is means testing. And I think for everybody listening that has done the right things and saved the amount of money or saved a, a legitimate amount of money that makes sense for them and been disciplined and done all the right things, that means testing has got to be the worst case scenario. Sure. Right. I mean, sure. it sounds awful. I think it's going to be a blend of a lot of things. I think, you know, if you look historically with the railroad pensions, et cetera, what they will do is they will start phasing out people um, or, or phasing in uh, certain age groups. So, for example, here I am, I'm, you know, my mid-40s, my full retirement age by the time I reach Social Security might be 70, mm-hmm. whereas yours is 67, mm-hmm. right? And I think that that type of laddering will occur. I think, you know, we, we only tax up to 85% of your Social Security. That seems like very low-hanging fruit. Why in certain income categories aren't people being taxed on 100% of their Social Security? That's easy. Um, you know, the means testing one is terrifying. Uh, you know, you've been paying in more than everybody else because you have been successful, and now as a result of your success and your discipline, you don't get any. Uh, I think they're going to have a hard time pushing that through, but we'll see. I think there's going to be a lot of changes. The big one that would make, that would really move the needle would be, you know, there's a cap on Social Security right now as far as how much you have to pay into it based upon your earnings. This year, if you make more than $147,000, you don't have to pay social security taxes on anything above one hundred forty-seven thousand dollars. You're only paying up to one forty-seven. Biden said he wanted to create what he called the donut hole, so you pay up to one forty-seven, and then you don't pay anything until you hit two fifty or four hundred, mm-hmm. and then from four hundred on, you start paying again. I think that'll probably end up going through. I, I wouldn't say that I'm a huge fan of that, mm-hmm. but that'll end up getting paid through. Now, if they simultaneously say you have to pay social security taxes all the way up to if you make a million dollars, a hundred percent of it, and then by the way, you don't get any of it because you saved money. Ooh, Ouch! That's that's going to really uh, kind of shy shy you away from trying to be disciplined and doing the right things, right? Yeah,
1: no doubt about it. Get with Optus Wealth Management. Aptus Wealth Management six one four nine one seven ten forty. Set up your free consultation. It's obvious Josh and his team are on top of these kinds of things, not just what's going on now, but what's coming down the road, so that you're prepared. You're not caught off guard. People who are caught unawares, those are the people that get really hurt in times like this. So don't be that guy. Get with Aptus for your free consultation. Six one four nine one seven ten forty. My wife and I sat for it, and it was a no brainer for us to uh, put our trust in Aptus. You can set it up online at Aptuswealth.com. A P T U S. When you talk about social security and the means testing, the people who you say, "Look, wait a second. What do you mean? I paid in. I don't get to take out." It sounds a little bit like the reaction to student loan forgiveness, where people were like, wait, I made a decision not to go to college because I couldn't afford it. I didn't want to pile up debt. Now you're telling me i got to pay for people who have debt. That did get, I'm not going to say struck down, but it got stopped this week by a district judge who put a hold on Biden's student loan forgiveness. And I just, I, so right now it's in limbo, but I just wanted to play because we talk a lot about being disciplined in savings, having a plan, never too early to start. Yet we also occasionally in our lives will divide Americans into different groups. There are millennials, or Gen Z, there's Gen X and all this stuff. And they can have very different adi- attitudes on what to do with their money. And so I found this audio clip from CNBC, Financial Channel, about student loan forgiveness and about what a lot of people who have student loan forgiveness are going to do with the imagine. money that they're spared, the money that they now have found money in their budgets – if their student loans are forgiven. And I thought you'd get a kick out of this as somebody who definitely would not endorse this attitude. Honey, Minute, recipients of President Biden's student debt forgiveness plan could see their monthly payments drop up to $300 a month in the coming weeks. But get this, 73% say they actually plan to spend that extra cash on travel and dining out. And joining us now is the NBC Tech Check co-anchor,
0: Deirdre Bosa. So, Deirdre... Why are people more inclined to spend the money they're saving on non-essentials instead of paying off their bills? I think we may know the answer.
1: Well, that, that could be according to one survey. But, it, you know, it could be easy as well for some people to enjoy traveling and eating out rather than worrying about the future. One financial coach tells CNBC.com that you should not use the loan forgiveness only for long-term goals. Your short, short-term short self may get frustrated and give up on planning ahead altogether. So, There you go. Uh, you'll get frustrated, you give up on planning altogether if you don't have any fun with your money. And that's one thing I like about you is that you're not like, hey, you got to save every dollar. What do you mean? You're taking a vacation, that kind of stuff. But but that attitude, I just thought, here's $300. Let's go to a nice restaurant. Let's go take a trip.
2: You know, I think there's this general belief that once we hit a certain level, then our behaviors are going to change. You know, you hear oftentimes, I hear this all the time, well, I'm going to start saving really aggressively once I get my next level in my occupation, or uh, I'm going to go to the gym as soon as I do X, Y, Z. And the reality is, if you're waiting for the next tier to make it better, and all of a sudden you're going to change your behaviors, I assure you, you're not. And, you know, maybe 73% of the people in this, well, I guess good news, they're going to stimulate the economy, right? (laughs) but what would be a better approach i'm not suggesting that you just be a miser and save every nickel you've ever made for the rest of your life and we've all heard all the jokes you know they, they quit putting lug racks on hertz's and all that yeah. stuff you might as well enjoy it while yeah. you're here and i'm i'm definitely as a child of somebody who died at age 40 unexpectedly i'm certainly not planning a hundred percent for the future i'm enjoying life today too but maybe just maybe you could take the extra 300 and say i'm going to live a hundred dollars a month better and I'm gonna yeah, yeah. knock out the remainder of my student loans if I have any by an extra two hundred bucks a month. Maybe, but you know, I don't want you to be triggered and hurt your feelings.
1: <laughs> well we hope that as retirement gets closer they'll start to prioritize it a little bit more. Um let's talk about, you know, what is going on out there in the markets and we talked a little bit about their reaction to the midterms kind of mixed at this point in time. One thing that I see for sure Uh, tech stocks are a big part of the uh, nasdaq and it looks like more and more rumors recession stuff like that recessions typically we think they're going to start layoffs we're seeing layoffs in the tech sector like we're seeing it at twitter we're seeing it at lyft we're seeing it at facebook and there are a lot of tech companies out there but i just kind of wonder if where tech is right now and maybe why the layoffs are hitting tech first without the anomalies like, for example,
2: you know, we had the earnings report for Facebook, and obviously that had a significant impact As uh, old Zuckerberg is leaning hard into, you know, certain sectors of the economy. There are certain sectors of that industry that haven't been favorable. So, of course, there's those. But if you just look at tech in general, tech has been historically very interest rate sensitive. So when you get these, you know, the Fed raises rates, the Fed raises rates, the Fed raises rates. It doesn't seem to be doing anything with inflation. The Fed raises rates, raises rates. That has a significant impact. And why is that? Because tech companies, by and large, need money. They're they're developing. They're basically R&D companies that have long-term residual income potential, but it takes them a while to get there. So they're either getting that money by borrowing it. Yep. Or they're getting that money from angel investors. And when the cost of borrowing goes through the roof, that has a very significant impact. And we saw that uh, towards the end of this week. Then we have, well, the inflation numbers come out. And they're actually better.
1: Promising, yeah, they're promising. 7.7. That's a a half
2: a point reduction. Not great, but obviously heading in the right direction. And what happened with tech stocks? They led the charge shooting through the roof because now it looks like, well, maybe the Fed won't have to be as aggressive in their future rate hikes, which would be promising for tech stocks. So, you know, what we're seeing here is that interest rate increases at the clip that we're on, no matter what you hear have a significant impact on
1: companies. They do. They definitely do. Uh, Josh Pick joins me every Monday for Money Monday on the Bruce Hooley Show on 9890 Answer. And we sit for an hour on the weekends. Show airs Friday night at 7, Saturday at noon. Catch the replay. Tell your friends about it. Most importantly, uh, don't put it off. Like Get your free consultation with Aptus and set that up online. Aptuswealth, Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, com. Do it via the phone, 614-917-1040. See if they're the right fit for you. They were for my wife and I, and I think you'll learn certainly from the conversation, and it's it's not low pressure, it's no pressure. So I've said before, Josh and I knew each other two years. He never mentioned ever to me about managing my money. It was my idea. I pushed for it. So I liked uh, the fact that he's secure in who he is and what he does and didn't pressure me in any way. This, I don't want to, I don't want to get too specific on one company here because that's not what you're about at Aptis. You guys have a wide range of investments, but I do think it's interesting. Like Amazon lost a billion dollars in value recently. They crushed during the pandemic. Like what has gone on? There's again, there's a tech company. They're building more and more data centers out by me. They've built one and then boom, boom, boom. Here they come. They got another one under construction. Now, what in the world's going on with Amazon that it lost a billion in value? yeah I think you're
2: seeing this across the board, so I'll speak to Amazon and then speak to to a lot of others. Companies like Amazon are constantly trying to innovate acquire expand constantly and anytime you're doing that beyond just the the influences of whether or not people are buying at the same clip that they were, which you know we could argue that and i I didn't look through all of amazon's uh you know, budget and annual report. But we could argue that maybe there is a recession looming and they're seeing some numbers that we're not seeing yet in the way that you know people are buying. But just in general, if you look at a company like Amazon, I mean, they rewind the clock back 20 years. Right? Amazon was a book. They sold books. They sold books. Yeah. Now they own Whole Foods. Yeah.
1: They're in the electric car space race. I mean, yeah. they're doing everything. No, right? They're sending rockets to the moon and they're buying huge TV contracts for sports. I mean, they're in everything. Yeah, so if you look at a company like that, We might not know exactly why they're down. They could have
2: spent a billion dollars in a new thing that they believe is going to pay back 30 billion in five
1: years, but it made them look bad today. So
2: it's important to have a long-term approach and believe in the companies that you invest in.
1: The other thing that we've talked about from time to time is cryptocurrency. And now's a tough time for cryptocurrency, which I thought... When stocks were suffering, crypto was supposed to do really well. Like, crypto came about, I thought, to be an alternative to stocks. So, is that because more people are buying crypto, and so if more people have it, I assume the people who have it are people who, they haven't abandoned stocks, they also have stocks, and their reactions are (laughs) the same, no matter what their asset is, or what's going on with crypto? Well, originally, crypto was supposed to be an alternative to
2: cash not okay. necessarily an alternative to stocks it was a decentralized ungovernment regulated ability to transact business back and forth via the web without the government knowing where your money was right and the government can't raise interest rates on crypto right so they they can't influence the value it's a pure supply and demand unfortunately uh, if you look at the investors that went into crypto it was somewhat manic somewhat it was a mania right everybody dove in mm-hmm. and if you look at the people that put money into crypto a lot of them had never saved or invested money in anything before in their entire life. Now, what's the problem with, we would call them fair weather investors. Well, the second that it goes bad, they go, Oh, mm-hmm. I'm out. And now it, it's, it's no longer long-term investing. It's gambling. It's day trading of crypto. And I think what we're seeing is a lot of that. We're seeing just the sheer volatility and the infancy of that infrastructure, not the infrastructure, but the, the industry in general, And it just got so overwhelmingly heated. And what's funny about crypto, and I'm not picking on it, um, I would argue what's it doing for you, but uh, I'm not picking on it. But what would be the determiner? This is what I always ask people about crypto. What would be the determiner that would tell you to sell it? And what is the determiner to tell you to buy it? I would think the answer would be price. Okay, so what price do you feel comfortable buying crypto and how are you analyzing that?
1: I would want to buy it when it's really depressed, like the age-old adage: "Buy low, sell high." But well, what is it worth? I have no idea. I don't understand it. I wouldn't yeah. invest in it because if it's a bunch of numbers, right? Like cryptocurrency yeah. is literally a bunch of numbers in a sequence.
2: Yeah. See, here is the challenge that I have, and I'm going to sound like an old timer a little bit here, but uh, but I understand that there's people that really analyze this stuff. But if I look at a stock, I look at a company. Mm-hmm. It's very easy for me to see: this is the revenue coming in. This is the costs that it takes to run this company. This is the net profit of the company, and I own a share of that company. This is what they make. This is what I. This is what people are buying. Right. So even if the stock price declines, the company is still profitable. It's reasonable to assume that it will come back at some point. And how do I analyze that stock and see if it's a good time to buy? Well, Warren Buffett's probably the best at this. Mm-hmm. But you look at it and you say, all right, well, I'm willing to pay m- a multiple of their earnings per share. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... This company makes a billion dollars. Um, I think the company is now worth $15 billion, and I'm going to buy the stock price when the price of that stock reflects $15 billion. So if it's worth 15000000000 billion, I'll buy it. If it's worth $9 billion, I really like it. I'll buy more. Mm-hmm. If it's worth $30 billion, I don't think it's a good buy. With crypto, it's I just feel good about it.
1: When do you sell it? Well, I feel good about selling it. Yeah. We're, we're, I mean, I wish I had bought crypto when it was cents on the dollar. And then when it got to the point where it would have made me a multimillionaire, I would have sold it. I th- I tell myself that now, yeah. but the likelihood is when it went up to some astronomical price, I would have said, well, it's worth a million now, but what if I held it and it's 10 million? Because that's kind of how humans are conditioned. We don't want to miss the big gain. And that's great. I get it. And Josh gets it, and he's not <laughs> against big gains, but that's really not realistic for a lot of people. And that's why they take a purposeful approach at Aptus. It's why you should have a plan that makes sense over time rather than just buying one thing and sitting on it and hoping, you know, that basically you've bought the powerball of stocks. They have a purposeful, targeted, analytical approach at Aptus. That is what appealed to me and to my wife. It may appeal to you. You'll never know until you sit for the free consultation. 614-917-1040. 614-917-1040. Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, AptusWealth.com. They're located in Lewis Center easy to get to, just off route 750, just a little north of 23270. They deal with a lot of their clients remotely, so you don't even have to be in the area. Set it up, Aptus Wealth, aptus, aptuswealth.com, 614-917-1040. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show, Bruce Hooley and Josh Pick with you, Josh, and his firm, Aptus Wealth Management, located in the Lewis Center. They'd love to sit with, you for a free consultation. Talk about planning for retirement, managing your wealth. Retirement may not be what you're looking for. You may be looking for financial independence or just peace of mind, understanding markets, a lot of volatility out there. Inflation is rampant at a generational high. Interest rates continue to climb. What does that mean for your investments? Inflation, taking your money away from you every day with prices going up. So find a way to sit with Josh and his team so that you can understand what's going on and believe me, they will have a very detailed plan for you, and it will be one that you have peace with and you understand. They don't force you to do anything. I'm a client, and I have nothing but the highest praise for them. So set that free consultation up, 614-917-1040, or you can do it online at aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. So, Josh, we had our fourth consecutive three-quarters of a point interest rate height. From the Fed, the... Um, money managers out there, some love it, some don't love it, some say that it's too much and it was too slow in coming. So when people ask you, is there a good side to this from an investment perspective? Is that a silly question? Are there benefits to what's going on? There are, you know, and
2: I I would argue that high inflation is never really a good thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm not suggesting that this is a great thing that we're having all these rate hikes. They're clearly being done for a reason to try and cool off the economy and cool off uh, you know, the inflationary problem we have. However, for the first time in a really, really long time, we are starting to see rates at the banks jump. So I think there's there's a bunch of ways you can improve your situation. Uh, one would be how do I minimize taxes, right? Mm-hmm. But let's ignore that for right now and say I have different buckets of money. I have my short-term, uh, you know, emergency fund type money or my my vacation money, my Christmas fund, whatever it is. And then I have my kind of midterm money, which might be I'm saving for a house or I'm I'm saving for my kid's college. And then I have my retirement money. So on those shorter term dollars, you have a lot more options than you do today. And if you're listening to this as I'm saying it and going, well, that's not true. My bank's only paying me 0.1%. I believe you. And I assure you, they will continue to pay you 0.1% as long as you're okay with it. Yeah. However, there is competition out in the marketplace to try and earn your money. Now the problem with that competition or why we're not moving is because it's difficult. I don't want to go to I don't want to go online and shop who has the best CD rates and then go to Allied Bank and go to JP Morgan and go to, you know, Fifth Third and go to all these different banks and open up. I got to walk into the bank or go online and fill out an application and then sign up for a 3-month CD so that I can just turn around and do this every darn 3 months. That sounds awful, so we don't do it and we just accept 1%. There are alternatives to that. And one of the alternatives that we do in our office is we have the ability to build CD portfolios for clients. Now, the advantage of that is you open up one account at Schwab or TD Ameritrade. You open up the account. You've only had to fill out paperwork for one account. There's no cost to hold that account. And then inside of that account, you can invest in CDs, municipal bonds, whatever you choose to do. And you can ladder those CDs out. Now, the benefit is we just shop and say, who's got the best darn CD rates in the whole country? Eliminate the United of wherever, right? Mm-hmm. We want to go with big name banks. These are all FDIC insured, and you have the ability to ladder out a CD portfolio. What do rates look like? um I know for uh yesterday, as of yesterday, you could get a nine month CD at north of five, four and a half percent. Pretty darn good. Nine look-
1: month CD, four and a half percent. So that four and a half percent would be divided up. You wouldn't get net four and a half percent per month, or you wouldn't get it no, at the end no, of nine no, we're months. Ta-
2: we're talking about an annual rate.
1: Annual rate, okay.
2: But, you know, compared to one, even if you take four and a half divided by, you know, 12 times nine, which sure. is essentially what you're getting, it's a heck of a lot better. Does that help you take a, a nick out of the inflationary pressure that we're feeling? Well, right now, if you're earning zero and inflation's currently at seven point something percent, you're going backwards by seven point something percent. I want to take as much of a chip out of that as I possibly can. It used to be I bonds. Obviously, they've fallen here this, this year or this month. So, we have to go with where we can. There are other options like that. you know there are one year annuity contracts, for example, that are paying really strong interest rates um you know, annuity contracts I rewind the clock back to two thousand and one. I remember when you could get a fixed annuity guaranteed for seven, nine, eight, nine, 10 years, guaranteed at six percent every single year. You just got six percent a year, and people would fall all over themselves trying to get that today. back then, it wasn't that big of a deal. We're heading back to those rate hikes so You know, I think it's going to be a very opportune time for people who are, you know, maybe nearing retirement or they've been in retirement and they've they've gone through now the 0102, you know, debacle. They've gone through 809. They've gone through the covid crisis and they go, you know, it was great. The market's done great things for me over the years. I've loved it. It's got me to where I need to go. But the average that I've returned over the last 22 years has been roughly six percent. And in that period of time, I've watched my money go down by 50 percent twice and 30% over a period of a month during COVID, I'd like to just ride off into the sunset knowing I'm getting what I need to be getting to make it. You're going to have an opportunity to do that, not only just today, but I think it's going to continue to get better. So there has been some byproducts of that that are good, byproducts of the interest rate hikes that are good, that there are some investments on the guaranteed
1: side that are finally attractive again, that have not been attractive for the better part of 20 years. Sit with Josh and his team for a consultation, find out about these kinds of options that you have ahead of you, And that way, I can't think of an investor who doesn't want peace of mind. That sounds like what uh, they can certainly give you an option to capture if you want more volatility. They're certainly uh, accommodating. There are many different options that you have there. But sit for the consultation and find out what your options are. Set it up online, 614, excuse me, set it up on the phone, 614-917-1040, or at AptusWealth, A-P-T-U-S, AptusWealth.com. They do work with many clients remotely. That's not a problem at all. That's a um, an outgrowth of COVID, I guess. So one good thing there that you can be out of the area and still have Josh and his team take you through the process. So when you talk about things like, you know, bonds and CDs and annuities and all that, uh, it feels to me like those are now back kind of in vogue and their yields now are attractive to people because there's volatility. We hear all the time inflation's at a 40-year high. Is Are these options better now because of what inflation means for other investments, or are they in vogue now for another reason? I just kind of wonder if this is cyclical, that there's, you know, people always say there's always money to be made in the market, it's just a matter of where. Is there something unique about inflation that makes these kinds of options you just talked about attractive now as they were attractive like in the 80s when we had inflation?
2: You know, so CDs and fixed interest rates um, are, are literally somewhat tied just to what the federal funds rate is. So th- that's pretty correlated. That said, there are other investments that definitely benefit from certain market factors. For example, if you look at an indexed annuity contract, an indexed annuity contract is a contract where you play by a set of rules for a period of time that can range anywhere from one year all the way out to, you know, 10 years. And in exchange for playing by these set of rules, we will give you a certain upside potential in some market index with no downside risk. What that means is, let's say you did a one-year and you put it in the S&P 500. They might be willing to say, if the market goes up by 15%, you get 12 of it. But if the market goes down, you don't lose any money on an annual basis. It's a nice way to play the game. Yeah. Now, when I say numbers like 12% or 15% or maybe even 19%, these are very, very attractive. Where people are going, if I could capture market goes up twenty, I only get fifteen. Market goes down twenty, I get a zero. I'm okay with that game. I'd like to play that game. Why are the rates so good? If you rewind the clock back ten years ago, that same one that has a cap of ten or fifteen percent was probably a cap of three, four, five, five years ago. Why the change? Because they're they're leaning in, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds. But essentially, those uh, contracts are issued with two important variables. Fixed interest rates, particularly short-term fixed interest rates, were incredibly high right now versus where they were before. And market volatility makes the options for that upside potential much less expensive because options are essentially like betting on whether the market's going to go up or down. There's not a lot of people right now betting it's going to go up, so that op- those options are a lot less expensive. So it's kind of the perfect storm. So it's a great opportunity. But I think you know, if we look beyond fixed instruments, uh, one thing that, that I, I want to address because I don't want to talk about fixed all the time is – you know, the market. And people are saying, what do I do with the market right now? And I think a a lot of times I'll have conversations with clients where they'll say, well, you know, balanced funds are balanced funds. Why should I work with you? So I would like to encourage everybody today to hop online and I want you to Google value fund. Just pick a a growth fund. Mm -hmm. I don't care. Google whatever you want. So Google value fund. And I want you to just Google value fund rates of return. And you're probably going to get a list. If you don't, maybe we need to add some more words. You know, who has the best value funds? And what I think you'll find is that the rates of return, even amongst funds that focus on the same thing, will be drastically different. You'll see a value fund this year that's only down two percent. you'll see another one that's down 18, right? So again, you might have to Google these a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, use some extra words. But not all investments are created equal. Even amongst it's like saying I want to buy a car. Are all are all cars the same? No. They're not the same. So what are you looking for in investments? Well, I'm looking for something that's of value, reliable, less volatile, gives me the most upside potential, that has a track record. In other words, do you want to buy a, a brand like Honda or a brand like Ibsen Motors that I just made up, right? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know who they are. They've been around for a year. Yeah, let's buy a car. They're probably really reliable. That's what people do in investing. You look, how long's the manager been there? I don't know. How long is their track record? I don't know. Well, what did they do during the last downturn? I don't know. These are all very important questions for reliability, right? Yeah. So if you look at, then you, you can do this if you want. Google balanced fund. Uh, and you go, well, all balanced funds are roughly 60-40, so they all probably have roughly the same return. You will find returns this year ranging from down single digits to down... 20 some odd percent they are not all created equal now is an opportunity or maybe a a smack in the face to go you know it's been really good for the last 12 years and i've kind of almost in spite of myself done really well in the market because everything's done nothing but go up but it doesn't look like that's going to continue to work so maybe i should take a, a little bit better approach to this and what does that mean well it's a lot of research that's why we get paid um and the difference is dramatic you know, if you look at everybody else this year, and we're not going to go into all of our different portfolios, but if you look at everybody else versus us, we are faring tremendously well and there are buying opportunities. So I think there's, again, twofold. I should be maximizing my safe fixed money because interest rates are high. I should be locking in some of the gains that I've acquired over the last 20, 30 years by putting in kind of these, you want to think of them as bumpers in the uh, in the bowling alley, right? Just mm-hmm. kind of limit my options, bookend my options. And then I should be using this as an opportunity to reevaluate what I can invest in moving forward that's going to give me the best bang for the buck. And it can make a dramatic difference. We've gone through this a million times. Yeah. You know, what's, what's 2% over two percent difference over the next 40 years? You know, millions? Hundreds of thousands, of <laughs> yeah. th- millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. It is. So now is, uh, you know, the old, uh, what is it, the old uh, Chinese proverb, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. Um, it's time. Reevaluate. Uh, I don't think we're through the woods yet, and I think there will be a lot of great opportunities moving forward.
1: Well, and the other thing, uh, I've told this story many times on my show, and Josh is on my show every Monday at 1230 for Money Monday. Uh, I remember buying my first house in 1988. That was eight years after inflation in the Carter administration. Uh, Everybody looks back on the Reagan years as great for the American economy. That was at the end of Reagan's first term. It took him four years. My interest rate was 10%. So I, I bring that up because you can't really wait because as much as we'd like to think there's going to be some magic bullet and inflation's going to go down to 2% in the next year, it's not going to. It's a long correction to a problem that can arise very quickly. And so without giving you too much of my own personal information, guys, like my wife and I found very attractive some of the options Josh just outlined and having that peace of mind and protecting ourselves against losses. But earning certain gains. And so what I'm trying to do is demonstrate the value of sitting for that free consultation so you understand these concepts. Six one four nine one seven ten forty 917 1040 And the other thing is, while Josh was challenging you to Google certain things, I'll just give you my impression of doing that because I just did it. Number one, the first four or five things that are going to pop up are going to be ads. And the other thing is, Google has an algorithm, you may have heard of that, and they prioritize certain things and I wouldn't, want, I wouldn't be comfortable personally with researching rates and stuff online because I would feel like I may not be getting the very best rate because who knows what or why they either are or are not prioritized by whatever search engine you're looking at. So that, to me, is the value of having a professional advisor. And maybe take us through, Josh, how you guys at Aptis find options and survey things because I, you're not Googling. That I know. You're not Googling.
2: No, we're not Googling and we're not watching the election results either. We're looking at actual <laughs> fundamental analysis. So essentially, if we, if we said, you know, purely how are we building a portfolio of stocks, bonds, uh, you know, ranging from commodities to all of these things, first thing we do is we look at what is the allocation supposed to look like today. So if you think about a moderate investor, just say middle of the road investor, that that in and of itself is a broad brushstroke term. A moderate investor by normal definition could be someone who has anywhere from 40 to 60% in stocks and 40 to 60% in bonds. So that's a 20% difference variance between moderate portfolios. So first thing would be, where do we believe we are in a market cycle? Where do we believe we are as a country and as an economy? Should we be risk on more or risk off more? And then we can lean in or lean away towards more fixed instruments. So... You know, as of today, I would say we're kind of middle of the road. But if you look three years ago, we were pretty risk on because things looked great. But then within that, then you have to start looking at, let's let's use the bond sector of that, the safe piece. Mm-hmm. Well, are bonds a good place to be right now where interest rates are? And my contention would be long-term bonds are very, very risky today because as interest rates rise, bonds fall. And while we got some good news this week that inflation has pulled back about a half a percent. I think we would all agree that we probably are still in store for some more rate hikes. Maybe not as dramatic as they've been, but we're still in store for some more rate hikes. So that means we should be more in the conservative side of or the the short duration of bonds and maybe even some alternative asset classes. So I'll just use that as an example and say, okay, now we know we need a short-term bond. Well, we can buy that through an ETF. We can buy the actual individual bonds or we can buy a mutual fund. Those are kind of the choices. Well, what's the best option? And then who's the best fund or the best ETF? And then the research goes into all that stuff of reliability, long-term track record, cost, history, et cetera. And then we do that for every asset class. And then when we have risk off, we start adding in things like we were talking about those buffered note type strategies where Mm -hmm. if the market goes up, you get some of it, it doesn't go down. So we start adding some buffers into the portfolio. So, you know, there's a lot more than just Googling who's got the best one thingy dingy. Yeah. Um, we're talking about what's very important, which is asset allocation. What's very important is fundamental analysis to actual stocks. But what's very important is if we're going to pick a money manager, who is the best one and how much of it should we hold? And that's really the secret sauce is buying and holding. And I've used this, this metaphor before buying and holding forever is like living in Ohio and wearing the same clothes all year. Uh, the seasons being a metaphor for the market cycles, uh, there are different times, you know, there's winters and market cycles, mm-hmm. there's summers. And when it's winter, my contention would be maybe you want to lean away from risk a lot, a little bit. Does that mean that you get out of the market and you try market time and go to cash? No, not at all. Does it mean that you can just kind of, you know, the storms come maybe we pull the boat behind the island, not out of the water, but behind the island a little bit so we can start sailing again once the weather clears? Same concept. And right now I would say, you know, we're still teetering on that
1: uh The storm's passing through, but it's still very much here. So sit for your free consultation with Aptus. Take advantage of their expertise, of their analytical approach to things. Subscribe to Josh's YouTube channel. You can do that by going to AptusWealth, A-P-T-U-S, AptusWealth.com. You can set up your consultation online. The YouTube channel will allow you to pause the content, to take notes, to replay it, to understand it. But better yet, just go in and ask Josh and his team the questions that you have and find out Whether you are on a good track, whether maybe you need to protect yourself a little bit more, I suppose it's possible that some people uh, could be, you know, too conservative in their investments, although that's hard to believe right now, given where things are. 614-917-1040, AptusWealth, A-P-T-U-S, AptusWealth.com. You know, we all have um, hazards of what we do for a living. Back when I was in sports, people always come up, who's going to win the game on Saturday? You know, if you're a doctor, I'm sure you got tons of questions about covid As uh, a wealth manager, uh, I would imagine people come up to you all the time and say, what should I do with my money? Uh, And I know you're restricted in answering that some because you have standards you have to hold to and practices and things like that. And a lawyer has those, an accountant has those. Everybody has those things that they just can't answer. But, uh, you know, I know you too well to to know that you don't say, well, come in and see me and we'll talk about it. But when people come up to you and find out what you do, you meet them at a party. Hi, I'm Josh Pick. I have a wealth management firm and they say, well, what should I do with my money? Is there a short answer to that question or is there an answer now that applies in this particular market condition?
2: Well, if you seem like a really interesting person who's actually looking for information, I will tell you that it depends on what your goals are. We need to align your goals, your risk tolerances, all sorts of stuff. And I'll talk about, you know, in general, what's happening in the economy where I think there's more opportunities than, than uh, you know, risk. That said, if, if you're just coming in and going, what's the hot stock pick? And just being annoying, I'm going to tell you, I, I, that's not the type of wealth management I do. I sell insurance. Do you want some? Because that's a quick way to end the conversation, right? Uh, but you know, ultimately, the answer, I think what people are looking for is market commentary mm-hmm. when, they, when they ask that question. They're not really looking for, what's the right plan for me? They're looking for something that they can then repeat to make themselves sound maybe a little more intelligent. That's not really what financial planning is. I mean, I can give you all the buzzwords if you want. You know, well, you know, I think today it's uh, it's very important that we consider the impact of leverage and we have to, you know, <laughs> throw out leverage and tax yeah. efficiency and and uh, words like antiquated. And you sound yeah. really smart. Yeah. I think oftentimes that's what people are looking for they're, or they're looking for the, uh, you know, boy, I really wish I would have bought Amazon 20 years ago. Well, yeah, don't we yeah, all who doesn't. Right. But if they're really looking for information and by that, I mean, listen, I'm looking for a logical simple plan that I can follow that is rooted in actual mathematical historical calculation that can give me predictable results and is at a level of volatility that my brain can handle because all our brains are different and I want to make sure that I'm maximizing my return and minimizing the amount of risk based upon those confines. Well, now we can have a real conversation mm-hmm. as to what applies to you, but that's not usually the way it goes. It usually goes, all right, the well, stock market's crazy. What should I be in? That's day trading, that's yeah. not the way that it works,
1: yeah, they're looking for an individual stock or whatever, but there is this old adage in the stock market, Josh, that you know you buy low and sell high, and the market has taken a beating this year, mm-hmm. but I don't know that we've reached a consensus on whether the market is at the low point where buying in makes sense. I mean, I assume in good times, you know they always advocate for at least a lot of people advocate for dollar cost averaging, so you can kind of take care of um you know, what you're investing and kind of protect yourself. But when people say, is the market at its bottom is now the buy low point, uh, do you feel like you have enough analytics and stuff that you can make a judgment on that yet? Or are there some things yet to be determined, like maybe future Fed rate hikes and what the inflation rate does? And we talked earlier in the show today about the tech stock sector, and maybe that uh, might be something that puts a pause on answering the question, are we at the buy low point?
2: Yeah, you'll never. When you say a broad brushstroke, like, are yeah. we at the low point for the market? Mm-hmm. Nobody ever knows the answer to that. Are we at a good point to purchase X stock? That can be answered. If we were running the clock back to maybe ten, fifteen minutes ago in this program, we talked about how does one analyze a stock, and you go through. Well, what is it earning? And what multiple of those earnings do I believe is a fair value to purchase it? That is a way to analyze an individual company because, you know, you look at the market, the S&P 500 is 500 companies, right? Even if the market as a whole is down, that doesn't mean that every stock in the S&P 500 is down. Now, we know that a rising tide tends to rise all ships, Mm -hmm. sink sink all ships. However, not proportionately, Um, you will have companies like You know, Pepsi and Coca-Cola, you might have a year where Coca-Cola does really well and Pepsi does really poorly. Well, they're in the same darn industry competing against one They are, right? Or GM and Ford, same thing. So, you know, it's important to evaluate what you're purchasing for the long run based upon math and not based upon just what do we think the general economy is. Now, there's a belief system that the economy should be invested purely off of momentum. And, you know, meaning that if the whole economy is doing well, I'm in. If the whole economy is doing poorly, I'm out. The problem with that is what you end up doing is spending a tremendous amount of time getting in and getting out for usually just reducing your overall returns and wasting a whole lot of time. You you usually don't do yourself any favors there. But buying good companies and holding for a long period of time, well, just ask Warren Buffett if that's a valuable approach.
1: Yeah, and you've talked before about most of the gains that we saw recently were tied up in just a couple of companies, so there is uh, wisdom in uh, buying holding, there's wisdom in a lot of different adages, that's why they become adages. But in terms of knowing what to do in a challenging time like this, um, for my own sake, I wanted a professional advisor, somebody that I trusted, somebody that took an analytical approach, somebody who could explain it to me in terms that I understand. And Josh has been able to do that. I think he does it every Monday on Money Monday on my radio show, the Bruce Hooley Show. He does it here on the weekend. This show will replay tomorrow at noon on Saturday. Josh, great to have you on. Look forward to talking again next week. You as well.